We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. This episode of The Working Artist Project is probably by far one of my favorites. I haven't really interviewed too many drummers, and I haven't interviewed any female drummers, and this is the first. Her name is Cher Zettinen. Her music is incredible. Her energy is incredible. And we talk about a wide range of topics uh, from health and fitness to the trials that she faces in and the challenges she faces being a female drummer and criticisms and just the foolish things that people say to her when they see her even before she, she's heard. She's super successful. She's been on TV. Uh, she's recorded albums with multiple people. She's done all kinds of amazing things. So, you guys, I want you to help me welcome Shirazette Tenen to the Working Artist Project. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, today we're going to kind of just jump head first into our discussion. Like, sometimes I go and like, give a history, but we're not doing that. Okay, cool. So, like, what do you do with the first 60 minutes of your day? Oh, wow. First 60 minutes of my day. It depends. If I'm just coming, if I'm on tour, then I wake up. I have to stretch because, you know, I don't know if this happens to you, but playing drums and playing cajon, I get really, really tight. All right. right. So my regimen starts with me getting out of bed and stretching, and then I drink a lot of water, mm-hmm. especially when I'm on the road. Like, I'll carry, like, a one liter or 1.5 liter of water with me. Um, and depending on how much performing I've done on the road, I'll just, I really just lay in bed and just try to clear my mind, mm-hmm. you know, because it gets exhausting. Six, 16 hour, or six, nine, 12 or 16 hour flights. Right. Yeah. You know, you just want to clear your head. But if I'm not on the road and I'm at home, I'm stretching again. And it depends on what I have to do that day. Like if I have a gig, then I'll go ahead and work out. But if the gig requires me to play a lot of percussion and drum kit, I won't. I won't um, lift. Okay. I'll just do stretching and cardio and a couple of, like, body weight exercises, but no no heavy lifting. Okay. <laughs> See, the reason I ask that because I'm trying to figure out what successful people do right when they wake up, you know, because the yeah. morning ritual is really important. You know yeah. I mean? And so you said two things. You get... You clear your mind, which to me means like stillness and like I meditate, you know. Yeah. And then you work out. It's like the physical thing to get like the creative juices flowing and make sure you're healthy. Exactly. Now, in the wake of the craziness that's happening in the world right now with uh, Uncle Frumpkin. Voldemort. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like what what are, what are your feelings on it, especially as, as a, a woman? Oh, man. I have so many different feelings on it. Um, it's been... It's really, like, I have to go back a little bit because every time he's done something huge, like when he got into the presidency, I was out of the country. Okay. When he... <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> so when, he, when he won the election, I was out of the country. Right. So I felt, I felt kind of like, oh man, my reaction is going to be later than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, coming from where I come from, I'm not surprised you know, I'm I'm from the South, right, right. and it surprises me how not only, you know, white Americans, but black Americans that aren't from the South don't realize that 
this stuff is still going on. Right, right. You know, um, when I was in undergrad, I had, you know, kids yelling the word nigger at me. Oh, wow. You know, and I'm in my, my undergrad program in a beautiful place that's diverse. And I remember living in a part of Tennessee after I graduated or in the summers, you know, because I was gigging so much in school that it was better for me to stay in that area instead of going home. And there was a school bus full of young little white kids that are in this rural area of Tennessee where I was staying. And they all were just yelling the word nigga because they, you know, wow. they didn't know any better. So it was, and that's, that was like the late nineties. Mm-hmm. So the generations of hate have still been going on. They're still being taught. And so when I, when I've had discussions with people on tour of me who are, who are amazing people who don't think that way and can't realize or figure out why this is going on. Right. It never stopped. It's just a, it's just in a different type of, I guess, form or presentation, you know? So if you're not aware of it, you're not really going to see it. You know, it's happening every day on people's jobs. It's happening in, in communities. I mean, where I live in Brooklyn, the gentrification that's happening started happening like 20 years ago. Like they had this idea forming 20 years ago with this area. Right. I was, you know, I was talking to uh, a neighbor lives on my block, black guy, and he's in a wheelchair. He was um, in a lower part of uh, Brooklyn. He told me like last summer, it was him and his, you know, boys hanging out. They're walking up the street. He's in his wheelchair and a van of Hasidic Jews drove by and were like, you're not in Brooklyn. You're not in Brooklyn. You need to leave. They're in Brooklyn, but they're not considering where they're based is Brooklyn, Brooklyn anymore. Because, wow. you know, quote, Brooklyn, they're like, this is, it's not black anymore. Uh. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's not surprising to me that Trump could have won, you know. And then when you have uh, the separation between the Democrats, it was right. bound to happen. You know, the thing that the Republicans did that the Democrats didn't do is like, well, one one person didn't win. Right. So let's go ahead and put all our eggs in this one basket to make sure he does not get in. Instead of doing that, you had a younger generation, you know, and I'm I'm on the cusp. I'm considered, it depends on what month or whatever. I'm either considered a millennial or, or Generation X. It just depends. Yeah, how do you even know? I don't know what it's I so am. it's so stu- <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this this chart and it said that since I'm I'm born like in I'm not gonna say what year I was born because okay, <laughs> that's okay. kind of my age but I was born on like the cusp so I can be considered a millennial or Generation X okay so you just have to look it up it's, it's available online but um because of how many millennials were in support of Bernie a lot of millennials didn't vote course and it's like okay now that's a maturity thing you didn't get what you wanted so support somebody else that can at least get you more than what he's gonna do for you right but instead of doing that you pouted you pouted and you stamped your foot and you you didn't vote right for anybody and, and it's just, you can't do that not in, not in this society not with how people are it's just you know it's like all right, um, I wanted beans for breakfast, but I only have tuna. I don't have enough money <laughs> to buy right. the beans, so I, what am I stuck with? You know, yeah, it, yeah. it. you just got to grow up. So 
that's that's some of my views about it. But I could go I could go all day with right. right. <laughs> so I don't know. we all could. Like when you said going back to your childhood, like growing up in yeah. the South and in experiencing racism and in different forms of like you know prejudices. Like how did that shape who you are as a person and shape the music that you create today? I've had so many people for me and against me, um, you know, because for one, I have no idea why playing the drums as a girl is such a big deal <laughs> well no one ever sees it just to be fair like i never met a woman playing drums well that's not true there was yeah. a girl her name uh her name is Sh- uh, sharita uh-huh she's a comedian now okay she's super funny but she she played drums w- with me at the same time in middle cool. school and high school so she was good yeah because in i always knew i wanted to play drums so my parents were all musicians you know in some form of fashion my mom's family members were musicians at the age of four, knowing that I wanted to play drums, I used to beat on everything in the house. Um, no one in my family ever told me that I couldn't because I was a girl. Honestly, I didn't really realize what the big gender differences were until like I hit puberty. Right. And I grew up with three older brothers. You know, my brothers are ten, nine, and eight years older than me. They're stair steps. Mm-hmm. So I came like ten years later. <laughs> right. And I never got treated like, oh, you can't do this because you're a girl. It was more as, go ahead, try it, you know. So I think at an early age, I was taught to be fearless. Um, And also, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm not going to say that, you know, family members didn't try to put me in a box, you know, or didn't want me to play with certain things because I'm a girl or vice versa. But I always was just the type that wanted to try anything out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my parents got me involved in sports at an early age okay. and, um, I started playing basketball at nine, you know, with all the rec leagues. And then I started playing AAU when I got into high school. So I've always had support from my family, even though outside entities, especially, especially in middle school, you know, I had boys, you know, going through puberty as well oh, you're a girl, you know, you shouldn't be playing drums. And, and when I became drum captain and as right. a freshman. You better than all of them. Right. Sit down. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, wait, what's going on? Um, and I not only became the first female captain for my high school, but I was also the first black, oh. you know, female drummer at, at all. And I was marching in middle school, I was marching snare drum in middle school. Right, right. I was playing big band drum set in middle school, and I was doing all this without owning my own gear because my parents can afford to buy it. Right. But I've always been resourceful. Right, of course. I was. I asked my teacher, "Hey, can I use the drums during the summer?" Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, sure." You know. All right, bet. Um, during breaks or before basketball practice, I remember my coach being mad at me because. I went in the band room and was just playing, you know, until it was time for basketball practice. And he was like, what are you doing here? You should be warming up, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> I am warming up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I I even had a, a band booster. Uh, I remember his son didn't make make the marching band team. Okay. He got He got cut. I think one person was ahead of him. And our drum line was dope. We had five bass drums, quads, two snares, um, and a cymbal player. But the thing about our drum line was we always got superior. Okay. 
even though the horn line would get like a good <laughs> <laughs> and we were beating out 4A and 3A schools because we were only like a 2A school. Okay. But um, I remember the band booster having to buy a bass drum for his son so he could be in the drum line with us. Which gave us the fifth bass drum sound, which right. is like a, a piccolo bass drum. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, and um, <laughs> that same band booster one day, because they're from, you know, they're farmers. They were super, super, super duper redneck. And I remember his dad saying to me, I'm not going to pick up your drum. I'm not going to help you. And so I said back to him, this is the fearless that I have. I was like, I didn't ask you to help me. <laughs> and I'm I'm only, four, what, 15, 16? Right. And I said straight up to him, I said, I, I didn't ask you to help me. I don't need you to help me pick up my quads. And quads in They're the heavy. case yeah. are heavy. Yeah. You know, so I've always been fearless. I've been super strong. I've, I've, I didn't see me being able to carry my own drums as an issue, you know. And I also was surrounded by other women that were like that because mm-hmm. I come from a team background. So it was always basketball, being on a team, basketball camp, band camp, track, right, all year round, music, yeah, uh, big band, concert band, um, a marching band, all year round. You know, I even played in my pep band. After the girls' basketball team would play, I would go back play in the pep band for the boys. Oh, cool. You know, right after we were done playing. So... I've always been involved with having school pride, music pride. And I came from a generation where it was cool to be smart. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) you weren't, if you weren't an athlete and you weren't smart, then you weren't doing anything with yourself. Right, right. But for some reason, being smart isn't cool anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there was a whole movement like <laughs> with Pharrell and like skateboards. And okay. Like being a nerd. You remember that? Yes. And, yeah. And it was like kind of hip to be super nerdy. Yeah. Yeah. Little, I can't remember what year that was. I feel like it was after. I think else. it was after me though. But yeah. But my generation, like I had people in, in my band class when I was in sixth grade. They were like, yeah, I don't want to do band anymore. But you should, you should stay in the band. Like right. my friends told me that. Right. I don't know how many friends, you know, now would be that honest with, with you know, their peers. But my peers are really honest with each other, and we supported each other. Yeah, that's good. Now, do you have a song on your record that exemplifies that strength that you're talking about now? <laughs> and that I want it in stubbornness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would probably be her powerful locks. Okay. You know, um, so yeah, if you if you I don't know if you want to play that one. Yeah, we can play that. What's the name of the record? It's the name of the album is called Humility, Purity of My Soul. Okay, and they can get that on like Amazon or you can get it on Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, pretty much any social music movement. It's available on. You know, okay. you can even get it off a of CD, baby. Oh damn! If you need a physical copy, physical copy, fifty three. If you want. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Just joking. And it's available through my website too. You okay, can listen cool. to it. Shares at tenon.com. Yeah.
super grooving. <laughs> so I want to get back to like some social challenges and stuff okay. like that. So like, what social challenges have you faced, <sighs> and like, how did you overcome those? I have okay the first thing that popped in my head <laughs> for some reason when I bring in my drum kit I'm unpacking it I've gotten statements like oh who's the drummer oh uh, what <laughs> <laughs> happens a lot what do you mean who's the drummer they don't want to believe that I'm setting up my own drum kit. They want to think that I'm like you the girlfriend or yeah, that I'm setting drum. up my boyfriend's drum kit. So yeah. I don't, I, I pretend like I don't hear them. This shit always blows my mind <laughs> when people come and tell like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just pretend like I don't hear them and I'll continue setting it up. And then after I go change or whatever, you know, and the gig starts, they look dumbfounded. Oh my the God. person literally looks at me and pretends like he never said that statement to me. Mm-hmm. Or I get, oh, man, you're really good for a girl. What does that mean? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Or, oh, man, there's so many. This is a <laughs> kicker. There is. There's so many. You just you just develop a, a thick skin. Right. And you just, you know, you just persevere. But, I mean, I had one dude... I had a group of people in Smalls when I was playing. I can't. I think I was playing with um, Mimi Jones and Luis Perdomo. Okay. And I clearly heard one of them say, "Oh man, she plays drums like a man." What What the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> what, and what did you do in that situation? <sighs> I I don't say anything because because really? those type of people I feel aren't worth worth me expressing my energy to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain battles you can choose to fight. Right. And I just feel like you're you're not even at the the mindset where I could even you can't even engage them. Yeah, because would it help right. or would I just become even more frustrated? So <laughs> the list goes on and on. Dude. I even I played in a band in North Carolina, and there was this woman that knew the band leader really well, and she said to me, "You know that he's paying you less because you're a woman, right?" She's like, I know for a fact. Trust me. Then what did you do? I said, I said nothing. Because I, I, my mom and dad always taught me that those that, and, and, my, and my professors in my undergrad um, taught me that the doors that are closed for you will eventually have to open. Mm-hmm. So those people that, that for whatever reason treat you less than, eventually... If I continue on my path and do what I need to do, they're eventually gonna have to just like bend or open that door, cause there's no way. Cause I'm I'm coming through whether I have to go around you, over you, or even underneath you. Like, it, or if I have to go through you, you know. So it's like you paying me less because I'm a woman, even though you fired your male drummer because you like the way I play. Right. You just made a big statement about who you really are. And you're, I know you're going to call me later, and you're going to need me, and you're going to give me a bigger amount. Right. And that happened. Oh, okay. Years, the years. The price from, go up. The price went up. Right, of course. But I'm already, you know, mm-hmm. at the level where your drummer, who's like 10 to 15 years older than me, wasn't cutting it. Right. And you replaced me with him. And it wasn't about gender. It was about skill level. Right, of course. You know what I'm saying? 
So, and I even had, I even had a drummer. I had a drummer from this area. Um, we were at a gig and he said to me, yo, if, if they, if anybody ever asked me for a female drummer, I'm, I'm gonna hook you up. What? What if they just, what? <laughs> so wait, so Bro, if you killing me in here today, if you need a sub and, and only if it's for a woman drummer, you're going to call me. But no one talks like that. Like no one's ever like, "Hey, dude, can I? Can you send me a female? Can you send me a male drummer? Can you send me a short one?" They can just need send, a drummer. I just need a drummer. Do you know somebody? Yeah, and this is <laughs> this is a person that's close enough to me that I've let them use my drum kit. Oh wow! Yeah, I think you should. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we don't communicate. Cross it, that one off the list, bro. You're done. It's a mindset, but yeah, like, but like I said, I could go on and on. There's so many different levels of it um i just laugh i used to get angry but now i just i you know i'm just gonna go in the woodshed i'm gonna work on me and i'm just gonna come back and take your gig Mm -hmm. you know or or not even take your gig but just make a place for myself to where people will know that i exist and why i exist because my battle is not with any outside entity but my own it's with myself because if i focus on what everyone else thinks or expects of me or whatever their views are, I would be exhausted. Yeah. You know, I would be tired, but instead I just, I just keep going and and think about what my purpose is. And you know, that, that helps me. So if you could give one message to like some young people coming up, male and female, short, black, white, gay, straight, don't matter. Yeah. Like what would that be regarding this issue? Um, it would be, just to remember what your personal goals are, what your personal dreams are, and and make sure you have, it doesn't have to be a clan of people. It could be just like one or two people that you know you can go to that will support you, will tell you the truth, and can can provide just a an environment where you can grow, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and don't, and don't think that people are unreachable. You know, I, anybody that I've wanted to be connected to, I figured out how to get to them. You know, I wanted to take a lesson with Cindy Blackman. Um, I made it happen. Yeah. You know, there's not anyone, I don't care how famous they are that you can't connect with, but if you already believe that you can't get to that, that level, then you're not going to, you're not going to get. So how, what happened with Cindy? I took the lesson. I was nervous as hell. I mean, how did you get in contact with her? Oh, so I was interning. Um, for my undergrad, you had to, you know, mm-hmm. do an internship, and I had some connects through some teachers. I called some people, and um, I'm I'm part of KK Psy. Oh, okay. So there was this trumpet player, uh, who's from North Carolina, but she was up in New York, working with Diva, and so. I needed an intern, and at that time, Sherry Maracle was a, an assistant to um, Skitch Henderson, who's the founder of New York Pops Orchestra. Okay. And I talked to them. I came up, did an interview process, and I was working as an assistant, free intern, but, you know, it got me into New York. And I met all of the cats in that building, connected with uh, Skitch Henderson, who was super cool. Um, you know who Skitch Henderson is? No, I don't know. Skitch Henderson was 
part of the whole like Tonight Show movement. Ah, okay. He had the gig before the um the the trumpet player took over, mm-hmm. but Skitch Henderson had his his New York Pops ensemble that would play all of this jazz music, and he had all these amazing charts. I used to go in this room and organize all the music, and I saw all of these original charts for all of the big band music and um, standards that we play today. Okay. And it was an amazing experience. Um, you should check out the New York Pops Orchestra because they do a lot of um, community work for kids, especially in the Bronx. Right. But that's how I got connected. And there was this blue book on the table called The Greater New York Musicians Okay. book. Okay. Which I didn't realize at the time was basically the Musicians Union. Right. So I'm looking through this book and I start seeing all these names and, and I see stole Herbie. Cindy's Blackman's phone. Number. I stole Cindy Blackman's phone number. <laughs> phone number. No lie. And I was like, "Well, it's laying here." Dang. Herbie's number was in there. Everybody. And so I couldn't believe that it was just that accessible. And it was. So I called. <laughs> I left her voicemail and I was like, "Um, you know, because where I'm from, you don't call anybody by their first name. Right, right, right. So I was like, Miss Miss Blackman, uh, this is Shirazette, and I would like a lesson with you, you know. <laughs> this is my number. Please give me a call back. And a week later, I'm walking in Times Square, and she called me right out of, after I got out of watching a movie um, at 34th Street, you know, that big theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I come out, I get this message, and it's like, hi, this is Cindy Blackman, blah, blah, blah. And I'm yeah. like, <gasps> Yeah, heart <laughs> stop, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So right, right, right. I set up the lesson and um I go I think it was like a month later. And mind you, mm-hmm. I'm a kid from the south. Right. My parents remember couldn't um buy me drums. Right. So they're working class. They don't have any money. I was fortunate while I was in my undergrad to meet um this couple. I started teaching them lessons to the wife. Okay live in this beautiful area in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, which is major. Major. It's it's so they're not hurting for money. Right. They volunteered to help me while I was doing my internship. So they gave me money every month to help me so that I could pay my rent and have a little bit of money to survive while I finished my internship. Wow. See, that's amazing. Like the universe conspired to like put you in that position yeah because right? without it i really didn't know how i was going to pay my rent right. even though my school has a loft appalachian state university has mm-hmm. their own loft okay in um 23rd and park oh, yeah, yeah. it was only like 600 dollars a month back then ah. yeah so i don't have 600 bucks right they paid it for me wow every month wow. so that's how i was able to get a lesson with cindy because I had that free internship. I had Quad Recording Studios as an internship, another free internship. Right. I was looking for gigs, and I was working at Barnes & Noble, which has only given me like a $200 paycheck. Just stop right there. Y'all got to hustle. <laughs> you had about five jobs. Yes. Just just to be in the city. Just to be in the city. That's, that is, listen. Yeah. And that, <laughs> you know, so the, and I, and be, and just, we we can get into that conversation later. But because of that, I have a, a problem with certain people that talk about things being hard. Right, 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 right. It's right. just like... Dog, get out of here with that. Really? Right. <laughs> but anyway, my lesson with her, I came in, I sat down, and I realized, man, she is super petite. 
but she's so fucking powerful. Right. Like, <laughs> I've never seen anybody play the drums like that. And she was probably like a buck oh five. Right. You know, and I'm coming from my, my basketball weightlifting background. So I'm like, I weigh like 175. I'm 5'8". Right. Right. And she's 5'1 at the most and just killing it. So I sit down and all of a sudden I get so nervous. I start sweating. And <laughs> I don't, I've never done this in front of anybody. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my God. I'm sweating so bad. I can feel it on the throne. I'm like, oh, this is not cool. But she was just so calm and peaceful with me that it didn't even matter. Wow. And from that day on, she's she's one of my, my greatest mentors. I still, like, talk to her or we hang out when she can. Right. right. Like, one time she didn't have enough time uh, a couple of years ago to really, like, sit down and hang out with me. So she invited me to go to this health food store where she buys all her, like, health stuff. Because oh, cool. she's super, super clean. Okay. She does not put anything in her body that's not organic. Oh, wow. And so I'm in the store with her, and we're just talking and hanging out. You know, she's right. like, all right. And we hung out in the store for, like, 30 minutes. And then she's like, I got to go. Right. I got to go meet um, Lenny. She's like, I got to go hang out. Got to go talk to Lenny. But Lenny White? I know, Kravitz. Oh, Kravitz. Kravitz. <laughs> so, Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that's the type of um connections you can have and mm. and I say, I'm going to say those people because when you know when I was younger than I am now cuz I'm still young. Right, right, um right. these are the people that I was I was looking aspiring to be like. Of course. You know, I want to be on television like Terry Lynn Carrington with the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah. How do I get there? When I met Terry, it was the same thing. I met Terry in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she had the same vibe, just super open, um, you know, willing to share, which is unfortunate because I've had a couple of drum teachers that, well, actually just one drum teacher, that, you know, was supposed to shape and mold you, but instead it was just a conflict. Oh, wow. It was just like, you're my teacher, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to make everything so difficult for me. Why? Right. You know, like, it doesn't have to be like that. You don't really know who I am. You're not sitting down to understand, you know, right. what it is that I need or, or what it is that I'm trying to get. We just you call know, those bad teachers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, if you don't have a relationship with your student or just, you need to know, like, where your students come from to understand why it is or, or why there may be even some resistance. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you're just about, no, I'm the teacher and this is how it goes, right. it doesn't work for me. So you mentioned you wanted to be on, you wanted to be like Terry Lynn and be on the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah. You were on TV. Yeah. On a show, the Meredith. Vieira. Vieira show, right? Right. And you did that for a minute. So like, yeah. when you achieve that goal, like you're on set for the first <laughs> day, you're like, wow, damn, I did it. And that was so crazy. <laughs> How it happened, it was insane because I had hit a point of being in New York, which is probably now almost two years ago when it happened transpired where I needed to make some decisions and I have a friend who has been performing with Cirque du Soleil for like maybe five or six years and so I decided you know I can't wait for whatever's gonna happen to in New York to transpire because I was getting gigs but still not enough right I don't want to be the type of musician that always feels like it's a struggle because right. it doesn't have to be a struggle to exactly. be a musician. Yeah. But that's something that it's learned. It's taught. It's not something that's truth. But when your teachers 
maybe mold you into thinking you have to take every single gig and grind, grind every every day, and you don't do it smarter, you just do it harder. Mm-hmm. That's not the type of life that I think anybody should have. Right. You should have time to go on vacation as a musician. Anything that you do doesn't have to have a low income. So I decided I was going to audition for... Um, Cirque du Soleil. Okay. Just to, you know, have... See, see what's popping. Yeah, see what's popping. So I put my video together and blah, blah, blah. And right after or before I was going to send it in, I get this text from Rachel Eckroft. Okay. And we were really, really close. And Rachel was already on the show. Okay. But I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on, you know, because I'm in my own bubble trying to figure out my own life. So I didn't realize that she's on this show and she's been on the show since... The fall. Okay. And it's crazy because for her, she didn't get it the first time either. Ah. Like she auditioned and then some things happened and then she wasn't asked to come back. And then whatever transpired, they asked her to come back. So she's on the show. And then there's another person, Alex Nolan. Okay. That's in the band who, um, so there's two people in the band that knows me, but they didn't have a drummer to start with. Oh. They only had percussion. So they created this spot for you. Yeah. That's so how good you are. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the MD is the percussionist, and he's the leader. Okay. And he's the only guy in the band. So he's a percussion player. And so Rachel texts me. She says, do you have any video of you playing other stuff, like other styles? I'm like, yeah, of course. So I send her, you know, all of these things that I could find. Um, excuse me. So that happened the first day. The next day, she says, you're going to get a call from such and such today. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And then the third day, I get a call. He's talking about, can you be here by Friday on Friday? <laughs> I'm like, sure. Right. He's like, okay, the, um, the drum tech is going to call you tomorrow. Drum tech calls. He's like, can you be here this evening with your drums? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, sure. So... NBC's, you know, coordinator calls me, gives me the address, tells me where to drop my drums off. I drop all my drums off in this um, this garage thing that opens up. It's crazy, like, because it's like this deep tunnel that you go down into. It's, it's amazing how you don't realize all the stuff that can be fit into one space. Right. So I drive to Rockefeller, me and Toya, take my drums out the car. They're like, oh, you can just leave everything here. We'll have the drum tech set everything up for you. Oh, oh. <laughs> later. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I and then be here Friday by 7 a.m. and we're going to start recording. Okay. What do you mean? Yeah, you're, you're going to be in the band right. and you need to start recording. So then by Friday, they had a rehearsal on Thursday. Okay. Where, no lie, I had to learn like... I think 25 to 30 little bump in, bump outs, Mm -hmm. which are basically four bar songs. Okay. And they all had different grooves. Thank God I paid attention to notation and it finally clicked because I couldn't memorize all of those. That's insane. You got to write it out. And everything happens really fast. So in rehearsal, he's given me all of these songs. um, And the rehearsal was about three hours. And so I had to notate little rhythmic notation beside each four bar thing. And it was a book that was about one inch thick. And that was the first rehearsal. And then the next day when we actually recorded, we were recording 
for real. It's so like, I didn't, I didn't get any, you know, <laughs> introduction. Nobody told me what was going on. I just got thrown into it. Right. And it was crazy because I don't think everybody <laughs> could have done that. It's baptism by fire. Exactly. So, um, and then I didn't even know if I was going to be on the show the rest of the season. Okay. They just kept letting me know every week. Yeah, you can come back. <laughs> so, That's so stressful. Oh, man. It was very stressful. So I couldn't even tell people that I couldn't do their gig until after I knew from them. You know, I was working with Camille Thurman with um, right. uh, Jazz for Young People. And so finally, by February, because this all was in January, mm-hmm. they told me, yes, you'll be here the rest of the season. Okay. So it was a whole month that I was just told every You're other like day. Double booking come, yourself, trying to make sure you can pay that Yeah, rent. and 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 I'm training. I'm still personal training, too. Oh, okay. So I still have my clients. I have two, three private clients that I, t- I train in the morning at 6 a.m. Right. So I had to switch the days with them to keep them. And mind you, I have to be at NBC one, two, three, four, four days out of each week from okay. 7 a.m. until maybe 5 or, or 8 p.m. Wow. at night, wow. depending because, you know, things could change and they could have us be there longer. So we're basically we're, we're there until they until don't. done. Yes. <laughs> and we're taping two shows per day. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you're only playing maybe like 10 minutes per show. And then the rest of the time you're sitting there and then you have to be super alert because you don't know when the segment's going to end. And when the segment ends, all you, all you get is one, two, do, 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 right. <laughs> you know, or you, and, and the counting, the queuing was very important because you have to understand the pickup beats, right? you know? So if he was counting one, two, I need, I knew I need to help come in on three, four. Right. Or if he was like one, two, three, you know, I got to come in on B four. Right. If you don't understand that, if that's not part of your training, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really mess TV up. No, you can't mess TV up at all. And then when we went live in the middle of the season, whatever oh, wow. happened, happened. Wow. And it was it was one of the greatest learning experiences I ever had because balancing all of that um, and and knowing what I'm capable of, it was it was amazing, you know, and. It's it's a lot, a lot of energy, and then they put you in some of the segments. Like we got, we got to become a segment. They created the segment around us, and it was. So now you're an actor, <laughs> right? Now I'm an I'm an actor, and right. and no lie, because my paychecks were coming from SAG after. Okay, you know, yeah. so I learned about SAG after, which is another important thing that musicians need to know about, mm-hmm. because SAG after after is basically a company that pays actors. And um, musicians that are on television. Okay. But you got to do a certain amount of time. Like, I, I guess I w- I'm going to put it in hours. Like, you got to put in enough hours to where you can get paid through them. Okay. You know, if you just, like, do one, a one-time appearance, I don't think it really counts. Okay. But SAG-AFTRA has their own website, and you should look it up because there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of uh, things you can learn about, you know, just being a musician and being on television, you know, um, I think, um, any television show that has a band goes through SAG after that's how you get paid. And then every time they reshow a show, there's a residual. Oh, so you still getting paid. That comes through. Well, well, not anymore. Cause I was only on the first season. (laughs) Like after the first season, they decided to go a different direction. Yeah. 
Um, and so then my homie, uh, Allison Miller. Okay. Okay. Was on for the part of the season because then after that they got canceled. They got canceled. Okay. Yeah. So they're looking forward. What do you see yourself in the, in 10 years from this moment? Wow. Okay. There's, there's a lot of things I want to transpire in the next, um, 10 years. So definitely in 10 years, I should have put out at least four more albums. I think my camp will be up and running and doing really well. It's called, um, books, beats and basketball. Okay. And one of my friends last night nicknamed it B cubed. Okay. So that's his new name. B cubed. Can they find out about that on your website? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, not until, um, I get the proper funding, but, um, I'm going to add that very soon. Uh, my beats and production company, Sonic Wallpaper, mm-hmm. with uh, up under She Beats 2. Okay. That, in the next 10 years, I believe will put me on the uh, map. I kind of, one of my goals is to be like uh, a Missy mix with Timberland and Dre. Okay. You know, because um, I, I love beat making. I just don't get to do it a lot yet. Yeah. I, I do it in my own time. But I haven't put anything out yet. I'm working with a couple of artists to see what we can have done. So She Beats will have, you know, some artists underneath its belt and helping push music forward. Yeah, that's um, dope. I would love to have this uh, this camp in the South and in the North. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I see I see one to two kids in my future. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But and, and and then just just having a business that's thriving and, and continuing to tour, you know, and and just making friends and making bigger connections. That's what's up. Yeah. And one thing I like about your music is like how you encompass the African diaspora in totality. It's hard for me to like pigeonhole you into like one thing, like jazz drummer or like funk drummer, or like African specialist or like, right. you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Is there one on your record that we can listen to that the people can can understand what, what I'm talking about right now? You know, it probably would be uh, the warmest season. How did you come about? Like, how did that concept encompassing all of those sounds come come to you? I think it was more about the experiences I've had playing, because in school, what I liked about my school is that. We were able, we were encouraged to play different types of genres. Okay. And it was required, you know, so I was, my ethnomusicology teacher was also a steel pan teacher. He played steel drums. Yeah. He also taught um, Doombeck and Middle Eastern percussion. Oh, wow. And then my classical percussion percussion teacher, who was one of the, I think he was the youngest to graduate from Manhattan School of Music, Dr. Rob Falvo. Mm -hmm. Um. So Dr. Rob Falvo and Scott Meister, Dr. Falvo, who really focused on classical, also had a love for um, ethnic percussion. So he went over and studied with a guru and took tabla lessons. So we also took tabla. Oh, damn. So I studied tabla, doombeck. Um, I played in the steel, steel drum band, playing drum set. I played a lot of different African percussion because we also had a percussion ensemble right, right. where we do different pieces. And then while doing that, I'm still playing jazz. Right. And then I'm playing in a rock band with, with a bunch of cool ass white boys that I met while I was in school. Yeah. So I'm learning about, you know, really how to play like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, man. And mixing it with, 
you know, all of all of that era. And then I'm still having to practice marimba, xylophone, timpani while doing my core homework. <laughs> so I was in I was in the music building. I remember I had to get a letter. I had to get a letter um, from my teacher saying I was loud in the building after midnight. Oh, because you need to shed. Because I needed to shed. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't go to bed until like one or two. And then my theory class would be at like eight, eight. in the morning. Yeah. 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 So, wow. That's insane. And then, you know, the Peruvian rhythms, I realized are super African. Mm-hmm. They are probably one of the purest forms of African rhythms that exist. But people don't realize that because it has the word Peruvian behind right, of course. it. But when the slave trade occurred... Those slaves in Peru were given more freedom than we were in America mm-hmm. because um, the Portuguese didn't handle their, their slave teaching. The The Anglo-Saxons from what we know as America now, when they were bringing in slaves, they were taught a cru- crueler way of slave trade and punishment and control because of the Portuguese. Uh. But the Spanish didn't rule like that. So when they came over into Peru and and then they blended their culture with the Peruvian culture, they were lenient. Right. So similar to what happened in New Orleans. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, they the Peru, the African slaves in Peru still got to play their rhythms, but they also were given guitars. Oh, okay. Um and so then there became a blend, you know, unlike us where we were completely stripped right. and only allowed, you know, that one day of celebration. Um but when I started playing with the Peruvians, I went to Peru twice. Mm-hmm. I studied with um, with Vito Lobaton for Cajon. And then, um, oh, my God, the drummer's name. Oh, he's going to kill me. Uh, the drummer who blended the Peruvian rhythms, because all the rhythms in Peru are dry. Oh. They're not wet. Right. So every sound you get is from a dry percussion. Right. So the drawers that they would use, the crates that they would use on the boats in the ships in Peru they would flip them over and start playing on them. Ah, okay. So that's how the cajon came about. Oh, wow, okay. And then that's why there's a dry cajon and there's a wet cajon. Right. Because when the Spanish came over and were ruling Peru for a little while, uh, they couldn't figure out how to get the sound that the, that the Peruvians, Peruvians were getting. Mm-hmm. So they added snares on the inside. Ah. So that's why... And for people who don't know, like if you hear flamenco music... Exactly. That, that's a cajon with the snares. With the snares. Right. Because it, it's a it's a form of cheating almost. Right. Because you have to have a certain technique where you can get the... Right. And and you know, they already heard you anyway play cajon on Camille's record. <laughs> right. Exactly. So two, okay. <laughs> two weeks ago. Exactly. You know, so... But cajon didn't come into my life until almost six years ago. Okay. I didn't... I didn't realize how important it would become in my plan and how it would make me so diverse. Mm-hmm. Cause now a lot of people are like, can you just bring a cajon set up? <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute now. Are you down playing my drum kit? They're like, no, no, no. It's just, it's just that this is a smaller space and we don't think it makes any sense. And you're just really great at playing a cajon. Right. So why kill yourself? I'm like, all right. Cause you know, I'm a drum set player first. <laughs> I used to get offended. but now <laughs> you know, You're a multi percussionist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's 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 listen. Let's All listen. Right. What was the name of it again? It's called The Warmest Season. Okay. And there's um Africanita from Angola. Um she's the vocalist on it. She's singing in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. 
That's dope, man. Thank you. What what wait, what language is she singing? Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah. Okay. So that that area of Angola mm-hmm. in Luanda, not Rwanda, but Luanda. Um, the Portuguese okay. conquered that area. So Portuguese is one of the main languages in Angola. Ah. Which which is also one of the main ports for America for slaves. Okay. And I got to see one of their buildings. It's like this little white building off the coast of the the island where they would just p- pack in all these slaves and that's where they would wait until they were oh, wow. dumped onto the ships. I literally got to see it. it was, I went there um, with Tia Fuller Okay, about uh, four years ago. Okay, cool. And, you know, that's, they took us on this boat, this little private island and we got to see all of that. Wow, that's dope. Yeah. So, are there any projects that you're, that you're <clears throat> working on now that you want the people to know about? Yeah, so Sonic Wallpaper. Okay. Um, volume one. It's called Cards That Life Can Deal. Is my first album that's going to let people know that, hey, I'm actually into hip hop. Oh. And are you rapping or Well, I'm not gonna rap, but I do write. I write okay. my own lyrics and I write my own like rhymes and stuff like I'm are you like producing the beats and everything? I'm producing the beats it's gonna be half acoustic half electronic okay and it will encompass my influences of listening to you know MC Light okay. KRS-One yeah while you know that, that era was going on and also with the 90s R&B era that happened and, and I'm a big I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan so, so there's, okay. so there's, there's basically it's like a, an R and B hip hop, um, rock blend for okay. this next album. Yeah, and it's called Sonic Wallpaper. Sonic Wallpaper. And how do how do they know when it's out? Oh well, there's gonna be a lot of buzz for it. It's gonna come out in the fall of okay. 2017. Um, I'm in the process of working on funding. Me and my band have done some private things. Like we do, we're doing house parties. Oh, dope. At my home. Cool. Where we you exclusively get invited, you'll you'll get a, a newsletter specifically for you because we can only do about thirty to fifty people right. at a time. Okay, so you come to my home, you pay like a ten dollar cover, and you exclusively exclusively get to hear the music. That's dope. Yeah. So how can they sign up for that newsletter? Um, if you if you just shoot me an email, okay, that's the easiest way because right now my website is acting weird, and every time somebody sends me an email through my website, I'm not getting it. Okay. So I have to get it fixed. What's your email address? My email address is shirazettenen at gmail.com. That's S-H-I-R 
A as an apple, Z as in zebra. E T T E Tenon is T I N N I N at gmail.com. Cool, got it. They gonna you gonna get so many emails. I'm like, look, sure I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Come on out. That's what's up. That's great, man. So just to wrap, we're gonna wrap things up here pretty soon. But cool. I like to ask everybody this this one question like at the end of the episode. What are three things that you're most thankful for? Man, I'm most thankful for my gift. First of all, I'm thankful for my parents. Um, and I'm thankful for, for God, you know, uh, just being my, my, my protection, mm-hmm. you know, and those three things have definitely, um, helped me to overcome some really crazy experiences. Yeah. 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 Dang, man. <laughs> this was fun. Let's, man, why don't we listen to one more though? All right, Is that cool. cool? Yeah. Which one? Um, you pick one. Okay, cool. I'm going to pick this one. What did you pick? My Human Condition. Oh. Just. <laughs> everybody just chill out and stand. With that, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Are you kidding me? Anything for you. This was yeah. awesome. I'm so glad you're doing this. Man. This is great. I'm just learning, you know. <laughs> hey, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> so, y'all check out Sherazette's website, sherazettetenon.com. Yep. And also email her, like, just whatever you want. Whatever. Ask her all kinds of questions. Whatever. And uh, Bombard me. Bombard her. <laughs> and also check out, check out her series at her apartment. Yeah. Get real personal. She's got a dog. Yep. Her name is Nina. <laughs> She's a schnauzer. That's cool, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Right, Thank cool. you. Later. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I need you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Facebook. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. It would also be awesome if you guys could check out my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. Click the link below. Become a patron. I'll catch you guys later. Peace.